can have a conversation with my mother who's passed on now. I'd love to understand her thinking and how excruciatingly difficult that must have been. How are you doing today, Larry? I'm doing great, my friend. Good to be here. Super. We want to remind folks that we'd sure appreciate it if you subscribe to our podcast, either through YouTube or through one of the audio podcasting platforms. We also encourage everybody to check out whynotwin.org for the other uh, offerings within the Why Not Win Institute's portfolio. I think there's a lot of great content there that can make a big difference in people's lives. Um, Today, we are talking about winning by seeing others differently. I know this is a topic that's near and dear to your heart, Larry, so I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say about it. And wait to share. So uh, were you a fan of the original Star Trek series? Yes, yes. Spock. Spock. And Kirk. Kirk. Uh, Sulu, Lieutenant Uhura, and Chekhov, the main characters. So there's a fascinating, at least fascinating to me, episode where uh, the Enterprise encounters uh, two aliens from the same planet that have been chasing each other around the galaxy, trying to kill each other. And uh, their planet has been torn apart by a civil war between their two factions. And so um, the difference between the two factions is that uh, one group is white on the left side and black on the right side of their face. The other group is black on the right side or the left side and white on the right side. And so they just hate each other. They're at each other's throats. They're trying to kill each other. And the crew of the Enterprise just looks at them and is like, we don't see a difference between you at all. When we see you, we see identical people. But when you look at each other, you see a mortal enemy. And I think it's a good illustration of how we see people and how we react to people can be very different. And in a lot of cases, very illogical. The difference was so minuscule that I didn't see a difference. And how often is that the case? Yet we make a big deal out of what's really so small, so very small. Well, and I've often thought if aliens came down to earth, they would look at us and as humans and say, why are these different factions of humans at each other's throats? You all look the same to us. We have seven eyes and 16 ears. We're much different (laughs) than you, but you all have two eyes, you have two ears, et cetera. I'd I'd agree. And uh, the other point is is that uh, we are literally flying all over the solar system, the galaxy, in fact, the universe, 
you guys are stuck here on this little rock called Earth. Can't you get along? Make <laughs> it must work. be thinking that. <laughs> Make it work. Make it work. So the phrase, what is it that you see when you see me, plays a real prominent role in your book, uh, Why Not Win? Yes. For the benefit of folks who haven't read the book, could you talk a little bit about that phrase and what it means to you? Yeah. Well, first of all, let me just say uh, it's good to be with you, my friend. Again, I'm loving what we are doing. I'm just so convinced that our listeners will take have takeaways that will be beneficial in their personal lives, as well as perhaps their business lives as well. Uh, <clears throat> I will tell you that that little piece has become the most profound discussion in any of the Institute discussions that we have. What is it that you see when you see me? I will also tell you that the book had been pretty much completely edited when I had this epiphany, if you will, <clears throat> that this piece had to be in the book. I called the editor saying, Randall, I've got an entry that has to go in. He said to me, well, Larry, the pagination has already been complete. But when you have had my kind of history <laughs> going up against some of the things that I've gone up against, well, you don't let a little word like pagination stand in your way. So I said, Dad, I said, um, Randall, it has to be in. It has to be in. And I'll, I'll go along with wherever you decide to put it. And of course, he put it at the very end of the prologue. But it's a very profound question, I think. What is it that you see when you see me? What is it that I see when I see you? Dave, I would argue that that has to be one of the innermost personal questions that we can ask of ourselves and then challenge ourselves to have that internal dialogue and debate to discover opportunities for augmenting what we ought to see when we see others in terms of ethnicity, in terms of sexuality, in terms of housing status, ableness. It's so unique because when we change and when we calibrate within ourselves and we ask that question, it's pretty clear that perhaps most of us would find at least one bias that we can pose the question internally. Is this honest? Is this fair? Is this just? Is this the best that I can do? And if we're honest with ourselves, I would argue that we would agree with ourselves that we can do better in augmenting. I just believe that. So um, in February of 1985, I was 18 years old. And a friend and I decided we were going to go to South Street on a Friday night. We got jumped by seven guys. Oh, my goodness. And they beat the holy hell out of us. So I was wearing uh, white sneakers. And by the time they were done, my sneakers were red. Absolutely. So... Uh, <laughs> 
I had to call my father from the emergency room to get the uh, insurance number for our health insurance. That was a lot of fun calling your father at two in the morning. Hey, I've been beaten up. Um, but well, I hope I get to hear why. Maybe there is no reason why. <laughs> there was no reason why. They didn't try. Wow. To, they didn't try to yes. take our money. They just. Wanted, yes. Wow. Just wanted to beat some people up. So about street. <laughs> That's not the interesting part of the story, I don't think. So Monday morning, I have to go to work at Sears. Um, and I look like hell. I mean, I have two black eyes and a broken nose and stitches. And it was an ugly, ugly scene. So whatever fight this guy's been in, he lost. <laughs> <laughs> My only source of pride is they did not uh, succeed in knocking me off my feet. Although, okay. Although in retrospect, I probably would have been better off <laughs> assuming the turtle position. That sounds so I, horrible, Dave. <laughs> I go into work and uh, I start encountering uh, coworkers. And um, the first four or five I ran into were white. They asked me, was it black guys that did that to you? Ah. And... Uh, some of them phrased the question that way. Some of them phrased the question using a different noun. Absolutely. Of an I can imagine. Of a very inflammatory nature. Um, yeah. And in, in fact, it was white guys who, who had beaten us up. Yeah. Um, and I guess that, you know, getting that question in the mid-1980s was not yeah. necessarily much of a surprise. But then I ran into uh, a, a guy who was a janitor who was black who had biceps like coconuts. And he comes up to me, he says, was it black guys that did that to you? Uh-huh. And bias. Well, and I thought about that, that anecdote when I read the book, because it was almost like a spin on that phrase. Like, what does he see when he sees himself? You know, he's, yep. he's assuming that it was black guys that, that beat me up, even though he himself is a black guy. Yeah. Well, then, uh, just to wrap the story up, um, he then offered to uh, have me come down to his neighborhood the following weekend, and he was going to teach me to street fight. Ah. So he lived in North Philadelphia, which was a very rough area, and so I politely declined that opportunity. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and as a result of that, I'm here to speak with you today, but yeah. I, I remember thinking as a teenager, you know, why is it that this person would assume that it was somebody from his own group that yep. did this? I understand why people in another group assumed yep. that it's typical stereotyping, but, um, for him to assume it w- was kind of troubling in a way. Yeah. Well, let me give you a little bit of uh, texture on the why of that, because there's a third component to that question that is not in the prologue of the why not when book. What is it that you see when you see me? <clears throat> what is it that I see when I see you? But the third component of that, Dave, is this. What is it that I see when I see me? <clears throat> now, we tend to take on the social construct, like it or not, albeit inadvertent, 
unobtrusive, but it happens. Case in point, I'm five, six years old. I'm raised with three sisters. And on this particular Christmas, Santa Claus brings one of my sisters a black doll. And I remember her crying, Dave, all day long on Christmas Day. Even I wondered why Santa would bring her that thing. So you asked the question about the custodian. I had bought into the social construct of that day, just like my sisters had. Every doll that was ever advertised on Saturday mornings between the cartoons were always white, blue-eyed, blonde hair. Barbie, Susie Smart, anything else wasn't a doll. Now, my mother, who's the real Santa Claus, as you would imagine, (laughs) we know that today, but my mother was probably trying to make a move to kind of move in the face of that social construct of that day to help us to have a more healthy image of ourselves, but she failed. And my sister cried all Christmas day and the next day until my mother acquiesced and she went out. Now get this, if I could have a conversation with my mother who's passed on now, I'd love to understand her thinking and how excruciatingly difficult that must have been for her to go out and get the doll that my sister could relate to. Now, she could have put it on Santa Claus for bringing it, but my sister had to know that my mother went out and got what satisfied her and how tough that must have been for my mother to actually do that. Um, That always kind of stays with me. I never quite Uh, If I had an opportunity to speak with her, uh, I'm sure that must have been a very difficult. In other words, she made the decision to save that fight, to save that battle for another day. But another day. But today, my baby is happy. Right. Wow. The social construct of that day in the late 60s. My guess is that would not happen on Christmas morning now, so we can be thankful for that progress. Um, I will tell you, Dave, if I could just inject, <clears throat> interject this. We were, I had my key club reading at a preschool um, program uh, just uh, maybe a couple of years ago today, and I'm sitting on the floor with these kids who were two and three years old while the key club high schoolers read to all of us. And I looked to my right and I saw this tray of dolls. I thought it was the most, my mom and I had a moment, needless to say, sitting on that floor. And there were probably six different ethnicities represented in that tray, an Indian doll, you know, a, a, a Latino doll and Asian doll. It was just wonderful to see that these kids could see themselves Uh, I was so impressed that that was the case to help people have a better image of themselves, though we might be slightly different. Folks should realize that they will see differences when they look at other folks. 
I always bristle when I hear somebody say something like, I'm colorblind or I don't see gender or when somebody's in a wheelchair, I don't notice. Yeah. That that person is probably uh, lying to themselves as well as as lying to us. So, uh, you know, realize that you will actually see differences, but then how you act on those differences makes all the difference in the world. And so we want to stress that dealing with each person as an individual is critical, not dealing with them as a, a category of some sort, whether it be gender or race or ableness or whatever the case may be. I think, Dave, if we were to um, think more on the premise that everybody counts, period. Everybody has something to offer, period. The human resources that we <clears throat> close off and out and away from ourselves is a detriment to us, you know? It's very difficult to lock people out without simultaneously locking ourselves in. I will tell you as quickly as I can, I was the second home to move into the community where I live. And so every newcomer within two to three houses across the street next to me, I'd always go out and buy a variety of Coca-Cola products, about $12, $15, ice them down, put them in a little throwaway keg, and I'd leave it on the front step with a business card. And it was just natural for me to do. I mean, it's just a great icebreaker. And I met a guy from Afghanistan. He happened to have been a uh, Johnny, a, uh, Johnny John's uh, uh, franchisee. But we still grew from sharing our stories from one franchise to the next. But the interesting story was the gentleman who lived right next door to me. His name was Sanchez Hasapnes, Indian. And met at the mailbox, just talked, thanked me for the code or sent a text, called because of my numbers on the card. So let's fast forward about two, two and a half years. My son develops blood clots in his leg and we have to rush him to the hospital. We get to Brookwood Hospital and guess who I see the attending physician happens to be my very neighbor, Sanchez Asopnis. We go through that two, three week ordeal. He comes home. We think everything is fine. The next thing I know, the second leg has an issue and I'm out doing whatever. And they said, there's an ambulance at your home. You got to get to the house. I get there in my basement, attending, tending to my son and talking with the emergency workers. How This gentleman is standing in my basement. Now, every parent who's listening to this podcast can identify with the value of having a position to give you a day-by-day, sometimes hour-by-hour blow as to how your baby is doing. That's priceless. But had I not, $15 of Coca-Cola, ice in a keg, you know, wow. Let's get to know people who don't think like ourselves. Let's get to know and welcome the opportunity to meet people who don't look like ourselves, people who don't necessarily believe like we believe, the real beneficiary would be us. 
Well, I think that's absolutely true because doing that exposes you to other ideas and other ways of thinking about things. And, you know, maybe most importantly causes you to question some of the deeply held beliefs that uh, maybe need to be questioned. I think in our society today, a lot of people will uh, read only one sort of media or the other. Um, one thing I try to do is read both a, uh, a liberal newsletter and a conservative newsletter because I want to understand both points of view. And in, yep. some, you know, in some cases, I agree with the first one. In other cases, <laughs> I agree with the second one. But they always give me something to think about. Well, key point, I want to understand. I think that's what you just said. Let's want to understand. 